fellow sympathizers. <laughs> yeah, that was a dirty trick Chuck played. No question about that. And after that uh, most earnest and sincere and totally magnificent talk, I think I should give you the same warning that the drunk gave the bartender. <clears throat> this drunk had been in, <clears throat> pardon me, throwing down double shots of bourbon for a while, and he went broke. And finally he bet the bartender he could tell him the name of any uh, ingredient in any mixed drink he could whip up. Bartender took him on, he reached down the sink of the bar and poured in one great big gaboon all of the dregs of about 20 different drinks. Rye, scotch, bourbon, gin, wine, beer, and everything else. The drink, the drunk uh, took it, drank it down, and named every ingredient just like that. And he bet the bartender he could do it again. This time the bartender put a glass of uh, plain water in front of him. The drunk looked at it quizzically. Finally got courage to take it up, smelled it, tasted it, put the glass down the bar, and he says, Brother, you got me. He says, You got me. He says, I don't know what in the hell that stuff is, but I can tell you this. It will never sell. <laughs> so that's the spot I'm in. Well, I am certainly honored happy and humble uh, to be with you this morning. I'm always honored when my fellow AAs uh, do me the honor of permitting me to speak with them. I'm happy in its acceptance, and I assure you that I'm certainly humble in its fulfillment. But I take courage from the fact that we have such wonderful people in AA, people of essential charity, and that in the great University of Alcoholics Anonymous, there are no teachers and hence no graduates. And so as one highly honored fellow student, I sit with you at the feet of Almighty God trying to learn some of the divine wisdom. And so I count on your charity. I met an old friend here, and I was very happy to do it, two old friends, Jim and Clara Wilson. I heard a story not long ago, and I was wondering what drunk could possibly have done this thing, and as I get to know my friend, friend Jim better, I think it was he, because he says he's a low-bottom dingbat. Well, this, uh, this lush got in the habit of stopping by a little bar every night for years and having what he quaintly called a nightcap, such said nightcap consisting of six double shots. And it got to be a routine, and he never spoke. He just went in. The bartender knew what he wanted. So he went in this night, and there was only one other person in the bar, an old swamp angel, down at the other end of the bar. So Jim drank the uh, six double shots, walked right up the side of the wall, across the ceiling, down the other side and out the door. And the swamp angel said, gee, he's a funny guy, ain't he? The bartender says, yeah, he never says good night. <laughs> well, if you were up here, and I was out there, and you could see this sea of happy faces and talk to all these wonderful people. I think anyone that is still sensible to the symphony of life at all would be thrilled to his very marrow because caught up in a meeting of this kind, and especially this ninth anniversary at Amarillo, certainly are many of the aspirations of the human heart silently and beautifully crystallized in gratitude to our God and in tribute to each other. So in the final net, what can I say, what can any man say that would do justice to this Amarillo Roundup? Because you know the human tongue crossing after the spirit of man always is out of breath when it attempts to translate the thoughts of the mind uh, into the language of the heart. And so when the chime of the grace of God struck the hour, marking the opening of this ninth Amarillo AA Roundup, <clears throat> that honor that Chuck and the other speakers and myself would do you, each of you has already received in his heart. And it was conferred upon you in that quiet room of the soul where writs of honor are issued with the simple words, well done. 
And I know that this Sunday morning, Sunday morning, all of you are under the spell of the silent, poignant drama which is being enacted in every one of your hearts. And I know, too, that beneath a surface lightness and gaiety, there is a height and a depth of quiet exaltation which transcends all, all outward celebration. And so with UAAs in the honor roll, this great drama of human redemption is being reenacted upon a stage of life and before an audience whose only comment is the single word magnificent. And I'm very sure that there is a song in your heart this morning in every one of you. Not the boastless, boasting, boisterous symphony of uh, materialistic achievement, but the quiet, simple melody of the song of peace. Peace of mind, peace of heart, and peace of soul. But for many of you, that song is not a solo. It is a duet. Because two groups really are present here this morning. And were it not for that silent, valiant group of mothers, wives, relatives, and friends, especially our wives, whose sufferings and sacrifices financed our very redemption, there would be no ninth Amarillo AA Roundup. And so that I am sure you, my fellow AAs, and where the woman alcoholic, where the woman is the alcoholic, the same holds true of her husband. I am sure you would have me tell our wives publicly what surely must be privately in our hearts. That you, our wives, are truly the unsung heroines in the greatest battle on earth. That bitter battle for a human life. For that's exactly what was at stake in the grim and awful struggle between freedom and obsession. And it was you, our wives, who were the gallant litter bearers of the maimed and wounded. Oh yes, you too were in the war, dead center in its swirling vortex. You were caught up in the burning white heat of the most terrible conflict on earth. Now we, your husband, sometimes we retired from the fight. We came out of the front lines for periods of temporary sobriety. But for you, for you our wives, there was no surcease from the hell and the terror. And so you remained in no man's land, knowing we would return once again to be defeated. And pityingly you waved us back, as with that false swagger of the fearful we bellowed and shouted our defiance to cover the terror in our souls. And so once again you are wise, stepped to our sides for the dance of death, as those throbbing drums of doom boomed out their message of despair. And it was you who covered our retreat from the tragic camp of armistice. And there you stood by, helpless and all but hopeless, as deaf to your tears and pleas, our swelling arrogance, hideous selfishness, acted as some sort of weird and devilish narcotics in restoring us once again to temporary duty. Yes, you too certainly were in the war. But today, this Sunday morning, you are wives and we together. We are now voluntarily enlisted for life in one of the most gallant battalions in the army of existence, that of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now you, you know suffering and sacrifice as no man ever will know it. And the greatest nobility of sacrifice is to do it without being known. And yours was hidden from the rest of the world and the pain and the heartache you kept unto yourself. But that big oaf you're married to, he may be very inarticulate in the language of the heart. But we would have you know this morning that we are not unaware of these things. We're not. We don't understand them. Certainly we couldn't have done them but we love you for them more than we can say. And we can applaud it as we are doing and paying homage to it as we are. And we can only wonder at it and thank Almighty God for having given us you. 
And now our first devotion is to each other. And you know, the, a wife's truest mirror is the heart of her husband. And if you look into ours this Sunday morning, there you will find inexpressible gratitude for all that you have done for us. And you will find devotion and a desire on our part to repay you in part, for that's all that we can do, for all that you have done, by giving you the best of what we are. And if we are not already what you would have us be, well then I counsel you to the same patience that Henrietta, the wife of Herman the alcoholic, had. Every time Herman would get half-charged, he'd get out a beat-up, battered old cello that only had one string on it and an old dog-eared bow. And he'd put his finger in one place on that one string and he'd wang away at that thing by the hour. Finally, one night, the little woman could stand it no longer. Now she says, Herman, I have seen other men play that instrument and when they do, they move their fingers rapidly up and down. Herman put down the bow. Henrietta, he says, you are correct. When other men play this noble instrument, it is true. They move their fingers rapidly up and down. Do you know why? I will tell you. All of, the, all of those other men are looking for the place, and I have found it. <laughs> so I counsel you to patience. Well, we have come to honor you of this part of Texas AA for so magnificently honoring yourself. But what we're really celebrating here today, I think, is the greatest victory under heaven. Victory over the most formidable enemy of man, man himself. And what a difference between this bright Sunday morning and the night you came into AA. Remember it? That night, you were put upon honor. Today, honor is placed upon you. When we came into AA, those words, in God we trust, were but an empty motto on the coin of man in which most of us were so poor. But this Sunday morning, we know that phrase to be a spiritual epigram on the currency of God in which all of us, all of us, have become so rich. And we who, when we came into AA, were flat on our backs, we know now that the surest way for a man to stand up on his feet is to get down on his knees. And we who, when we came into AA, were not trusted by man in the most trivial affairs of life, are now trusted by God in one of the most important jobs on earth. Think of it, trusted by him to preserve and to pass on the mighty miracle of release from alcoholic addiction. And we who, when we came into AA, relied upon self. We know now that there simply is not enough horsepower in willpower to raise any alcoholic from the swamps of drunkenness to the heights of sobriety and to keep him there. And we, who surrendered to a power greater than ourselves, we know now that we have had returned to us a power greater than we surrendered. And because we are living uh, uh, not, not merely a program, but a principle, we have discovered the great central paradoxical truth of all life, in and out of AA. We have finally learned that man gains total victory over self only, as Chuck said a little while ago, only through unconditional surrender to God. Yes? What a difference between this Sunday morning and the night we came into AA. A difference far greater than that uh, illustrated in the little story about the authorist Fanny Hurst. Well, Fanny, through a uh, very severe of uh, dieting and exercise, had, had regained her svelte-like figure. And she was tripping gaily down Fifth Avenue one morning when the humorous Irvin Cobb, old friend, was uh, walking in back of her, admiring the scenery. 
They hadn't seen each other for a number of years, and after an exchange of small talk, she said, Yes, Irvin, yes. The same Fanny Hurst. Not quite, uh, said Cobb, not quite, my dear. He said, The same Hurst, all right, but definitely not the same Fanny. <laughs> one thing, there are many things that we share in common, perhaps the most poignant, and at the time the most devastating, and you our wives have shared it with us, is that we have known the terror. I think we have known it as few men have known it and come back. And a hasty glance over our shoulder, and once more we can see ourselves there, cringing and cowering in that deep impenetrable gloom of the soul's remorse. And once again we can watch ourselves prance in the devil's dance. And we can feel the bitter biting sting of the tyrant's whip as it seared and lashed the living flesh from our dying spirits. And once more we can feel those icy winds of spiritual desolation as they shriek through the shrouds of our frenzied spirit. For it was we, we alcoholics, who more than most men, I think, have echoed that terrible cry which has come ringing down the centuries from the Garden of Gethsemane. O God, why hast thou forsaken me? And from our lips, numb with panic, those awful words fell in agonizing despair. And there we stood, naked and trembling, in our terrorism of guilt, and as each silent footfall of doom drew nearer, it crashed in the, through us with such thunderous roar as to drown out the voice of hope. We were trapped. We were damned. We were doomed. And so with a cry of horror, we staggered further into that impenetrable gloom and raced the treadmill of despair, of despair in the icy sweat which stalks the steps of the obsessed every moment of his life. Yes, we have known the terror, and the fact that we have come back from it is a miracle, a literal, veritable miracle, and that is what every meeting of AA, in a sense, celebrates. Well, just think. Every one of us who a few short days, weeks, months, or year ago were bound to the bloated god of booze and the most degrading slavery known to man now are not only free of that sadistic tyrant but actually his master. What is that but a miracle? No longer are we afraid of front, flank, or rear attack from any quarter of life. And especially from the servant who became the master alcohol when reason abdicated the throne and the devil's jester grabbed the scepter of command no longer are we afraid because each one of us holds in his hand the AA map on the high road of life we are humbly unafraid yes I think every recovered alcoholic is truly a miracle. As we look back, we can see that the life of the alcoholic is cyclonic. And heedlessly and ruthlessly, the winds of his weakness hurricane through his existence and the roaring blasts of his folly lay desolate the lives, the very lives of those he loves. The very strength of his weakness, the recklessness of his selfishness, makes even his home life a ghastly mockery of peace and contentment. And deep affections are cruelly uprooted and injuries and injustices testify to the wild havoc the storm wreaks. For the alcoholic, whether he live in a penthouse or a flop house, he lives in terror and in tumult, a tumult on, in his true abode, the skid row of the soul. That's where skid row is. It is no geographical location. It is that dark and fearsome avenue through which passes the traffic of despair. That was our former home. 
How can the alcoholic, how can he possibly still this raging storm that runs through his life? How can he calm those tempestuous waves? Well, not the mind of man, nor the strength of his will. Not the knowledge of medicine, nor the power of science. And not even, in many instances, the benevolence of religion. Before the victim of this disease, the very genius of man stands mute and helpless. Release from alcohol addiction is possible only, only through the power of Almighty God. And even he himself is called upon to exert it to the point of miraculousness. Yes, every one of us here in this room is here through the love of Almighty God working through the instrumentality which he created, that of Alcoholics Anonymous. And this is a miracle. For you can see as you look back over your shoulder again and well can you remember that each time when the violence of your passion again was spent and when your body was sodden and your brain numb and your soul terrified with booze, you returned to medicine, to psychiatry and religion. And from medicine you demanded a cure. And from psychiatry you sought a regime. And from religion you begged for hope. But the physician told you once again there was no magic in his little black bag with which to treat the, the, the incurable disease of alcoholism. And even those of us who sought out psychiatry frequently did so with an air of uh, cheap bravado and challenge. And hence merely the flag of an uneasy truce rode the desk as we sat by his side. And sometimes... Sometimes the psychiatrist became even more frustrated than we were and he went out and got drunk. <laughs> but those of us who sought sanctuary in the quiet cathedral of the spirit, which is man's religion, even there we found increased bafflement and bewilderment. You must be reborn, said the kindly minister. Take your problem to the foot of the cross, urged the priest. Have faith in the God of your fathers, advised the rabbi. Words, words, words. Words we had heard a thousand times and had not understood even once. Because it was you and I who made up that very tragic caravan which winds its way down from the heights of sobriety to the swamps of drunkenness. And all of you will recall that at one place the path divided and through the stout pickets of an unscalable fence to the right we caught a brief glimpse of the beautiful garden of sobriety. And to the left the trail led down to even greater degradation than we had known. And there it was that we gathered before that little low door leading on to this beautiful garden that little old door which bears one word, a simple legend, humility. That little old door which is impregnable to pride and which not all of the troops of the drunkard's battalion can storm or take. And there it was that we gathered, you and I, we who believed and we who scoffed, we who prayed and we who jeered. And there it was that that terrible, silent language of the alcoholic passed soundlessly down the line of despair. And there it was that we build, uh, milled about in the wild confusion of the dam. And we assaulted that little old door with all of the puny fury of the frustrated drunkard. But we fell back. We fell back buffeted, baffled and bewildered. And once again we charged, fell, rose, charged and fell again. Believer and unbeliever caught in the same swirling surge of furious frustration and that violent panic of the damned. What in the name of Almighty God could we do to gain entrance? Well, Chuck told you this morning. Because above the bedlam of our souls came the quiet voice of answer. The answer he gave you, in my opinion. And the first two words we heard were unconditional surrender. 
And before we could hurl our puny defiance, they were followed by two more. Unconditional surrender to victory. Well, this, we cried, was a trick, a trap. Surrender was to defeat. Only the weak surrendered. We would continue the unsuccessful battle for the rest of our lives. But those of us of faith finally understood. Finally understood that this was the way. And those of us who scoffed, we knew in that moment of God's grace by some inner intuition that those terms were inexorable. And so, in one final desperate effort to save our very lives, believer and unbeliever, together, we went to our knees in unconditional surrender. And in that solemn moment, Almighty God himself leaned down and put into our hands the baton of victory. That's what has brought us here, in my opinion. That is the simple technique of Alcoholics Anonymous. The only surrender to victory within the human concept. Having lost every single tactical engagement of the struggle, we finally, with this one master stroke of strategy, we won the entire campaign. We won the war by giving up the battle. And there is something sublime, something almost mystical, a mingling of the human and of the divine, when a man finally, finally goes to his knees in unconditional surrender to God. Then the miracle is born, and as Chuck so eloquently stated, that is the trigger which releases the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that is a secret, I think, for which much of this restless world seeks in vain. The secret of surrender to victory. That is how miracles are affected. Because when all else fails, when the finest minds in science and the keenest brains in medicine and the most benevolent hearts in religion when the agonizing tears and pleas of mothers, wives, relatives, and friends, when bankruptcy, personal, financial, moral, spiritual, when all of these things together did not, because they could not, ransom us from ruin, surely I think it would be intellectual self-deception to place any other label but miracle on the fact of our recovery. Yes? Each one of us is a miracle of God's grace. And what are the gathering on the face of God's earth? <coughs> Besides an AA meeting, could you ask this question of, and not have a single taker? Who in this room this morning would trade what he possesses at this moment for the finest, greatest, materialistic gift within the power of man? Not one. I am sure. Not one. Because we have learned in Alcoholics Anonymous that whether we earn much or little, whether our possessions are many or few, whether we command or obey, that we are wealthy, infinitely wealthy beyond all materialistic evaluation. And we possess a secret for which the materialistic financier would give his soul to possess but is not likely to discover. And this is what we are celebrating, a miracle. Well, what is a miracle? A miracle, says the dictionary, is an, is an event in the natural world happening outside of the established order of things possible only through intervention of divine power. I am sure that no AA will have any quarrel with that. Of course, there were a couple of colored boys that uh, perhaps more vividly illustrated this. They were sitting down under a tree in a beautiful day like this, and one of them says to the other and says, Boy, you know what a miracle is? He says, Yeah, I know. Says, what is it? Well, he says, You see that big bull grazing over in the field there? That ain't no miracle. He says, I know it. And that little thistle sitting down there by your big foot, that ain't no miracle. Yeah, knows that too. And he says, That little bird singing sweet in the tree. 
But he says, boy, when you see that big bull sitting on that little thistle, singing like that bird in the tree, that's a miracle. <laughs> well, that's a, be a pretty struggling, piddling little miracle compared to us. Because when we who for so many years cowered before the tyrant of bulls and now find ourselves free, surely that is a miracle. And when we who all we heard were the leering ghosts of self-pity whining through our spirit, now can hear the sublime music of life flooding our souls, what is that but a miracle? And when we who were drowning in the most desolate, God-forsaken ocean in life, the sea of booze, suddenly find ourselves safe in the harbor of sobriety, what is that but a miracle? And when we who could not strive as we would possibly be a success cannot now, so long as we do these twelve steps, possibly become a failure, what is that but a miracle? And when we who made the worst possible investment in the world now draw the largest daily dividends in existence, that surely is a miracle. And when we who used to each day mortgage the wealth of the future to pay the debts of the past so that we might drink up the non-existent present, now find the past discharged, the present secure, and the future assured, that is a veritable miracle. And then when we possess, as Chuck very vividly illustrated, when we possess because we do the power to increase our wealth, in the exact proportion in which we give it away. That is a miracle beyond all materialistic understanding. And these things are true. This is no merely beautiful rhetoric. They are true. We all know them to be true. And we can amass whatever fortune we wish by the simple means of passing it on, of giving it away. Yes, each of us has been the recipient of the miracle from God Almighty. And we each know its limitless length, its power to rechannel the course of our very lives. And we also have another power. We have the power to halt this miracle with ourselves. Think of it. Think of the power to halt it or to pass it on. This miracle bestows an enormous privilege and imposes a most serious obligation to pass on the miracle. How can any man receiving the most priceless thing, the most priceless gift that God could give him, how can he possibly hoard this wealth unto himself when his brother needs and only he can furnish that which will make him? Now we have learned in AA that this is mandatory that we must share this wealth. Because we have learned that there is a knowledge and a wisdom in this world that is above all intellectual striving. And it can be understood only, only, when man turns from the mountain of the mind to the valley of the soul. There he will discover the wisdom that will want him to make others as wealthy as himself to pass on this incredible gift which has been given to him through no merit of his own. How shall we pass it on? How? I think that unless we do so in charity, we do so in vain. That unless charity, not philanthropy, charity be our true motivation, I think we are still but animated marionettes still indulging in the cheapest form of materialistic exhibitionism, still trying to spend our way to self-satisfaction rather than feeling our way to atonement. Charity. It was the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous that took us from the swamp to the stars. Those 12 steps. Now anyone examining these 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous if he will look down, he will see that they are hewn from the tallest tree of life, charity. And if he looks a bit closer, 
he will see that the masterwork was done by the most silent of the giants of virtue, humility. Charity out of humility and the great mother virtue in Alcoholics Anonymous surely is charity for each one of us. Every alcoholic in this room in one way or another is here through the charity of someone else. Someone else gave Almighty God the exalted privilege, privilege of helping to bring us here. Why charity? Because we have taken step number three. Made a decision to turn our will, our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. Well, few of us are biblical students and few of us have to be to know that God, Christ, said more about charity than he said more than he said about anything else. And he said it in very simple terms. Charity. He went about doing good, not asking the innocence or guilt of anyone. He just went about doing good. These weren't lessons. These were things for us to follow. And uh, he said this. He said this. Give to him who asketh thee. And from him who would borrow of thee, turn not away. That's what he said. We may not wish to follow it, but we can no longer plead ignorance of the way. And if you have two coats, give one to him who has none. Well, that is the motivation. Are these things practical? Is that practical? No, it isn't practical at all. But it is something infinitely wiser than practicality. These things are not suggestions. They are divine commands. And who among us would have the spiritual effrontery to refuse to obey when it has been given to us? Charity. Charity requires no knowledge, no education, and frequently no money. And very frequently it does. But that's what he said. The story of the Good Samaritan is the story of every good AA. Not only did he pick the man up and bind his wounds, but he paid the innkeeper to keep him. And sometimes I think that when we dry up, some of us, we tighten up, so bad you can hear a squeak almost. <laughs> and we have, we have gotten this great wealth. We are here through his charity. Give, he said. I'm afraid that all of us, all of us sometimes in our tired impatience, we try to make our charity in AA practical. Well, I think that if we do so, we unconsciously make mockery of step number three. What is practical about that in this world? Now, we know the will of God for us in charity. We know it. If we don't do it, it can be called nothing else, I think, than sheer spiritual defiance. Did any alcoholic in this room ever get down on his knees and pray to Almighty God for justice? No. We didn't want justice. We didn't want it. We were afraid of it. We wouldn't be here if it had been meted out to us. But we cried out in our anguish and terror for charity. And many of our brothers are crying out today. There will be alcoholics, as you well know, who will die this very night in drab, dreary, shabby little rooms, die in loneliness and despair because the hand of charity has not been stretched forward. So charity. But you hear in AA so many times, you hear, well, money doesn't do any good. There's no use of giving these guys money. The ones you loan money to never make it. Never make it. Now, what profound prophet is saying this? He's donning the judge's robe, sober today by his own admission by the charity of God. And yet he, he is going to play God and sell him up as supreme wisdom. I think one of the most unlovely sights on the face of God's earth was much make, which must make the very angels weep is one common drunkard 
so that today exclusively through the grace of Almighty God sitting in judgment on another common drunkard. One louse judging another louse. Well, if that isn't the most bitterly ironic thing that could possibly take place, share it. But all our faith, this faith that we talk about, how feeble it is. We are afraid. We simply do not believe God. We are afraid to give because we might not get. We haven't, some of us, yet learned that the way to get is to give and give first. Almighty God is too good a bookkeeper to permit himself to be in debt to any man. To any man. And the only way that we can receive more is to give of that which we have in faith. In faith. Because he said so. And that certainly should be enough for us. You know, even the... Uh, uh, even some of the animals have a sense of charity. This old um, alcoholic, he was a farmer. And uh, he'd been on a terrible binge, but he had a very understanding cow, a very compassionate and a talking cow. So he came out one morning to milk the cow, and he set the pail there, and the cow turned and looked at him and said, Well, here you are again. When are you ever going to sober up? Look at those bags under your eyes. You're in a hell of a shape. Joe said, Jan, I've got to milk you, and that's just the beginning. I don't know how I'm going to get through the rest of the day. Cow said, well, I shouldn't do it, but I'll help you out. Sit down. Got the stool ready? Yep. He said, all right, you take hold of the others, and I'll jump up and down. Yes, charity is not, I think, uh, too difficult a virtue to cultivate. But I think it is perhaps the most difficult to sustain. Because we grow tired, tired in charity. And we lose the thought that we are not giving to man at all. We are simply repaying to God. And if in our hearts, at the moment of an act of generosity, there is charity, if that is our motivation, we have received in that instant all the reward that ever we will get. What the person to whom we give of ourselves, our time, our money, our sacrifice of our comfort or convenience, what he does with it is completely unimportant. Totally unimportant. The act of giving is the important thing. And in that moment, we will have all the reward to which we are entitled. Now, if we are doing these things for show, if we are doing them to impress someone, we will receive no reward. Charity. The love of brother for the love of God. And gratitude, of which Chuck spoke again this morning. Certainly the most lovely virtue, one of them in AA. And charity and gratitude walk hand in hand. No virtue walks alone. Every virtue has a twin. And so the gratitude of charity. But people come and say, well, isn't there a limit to how much you can do and everything else? Now, charity does not mean an abandonment of common sense, of experience or prudence. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means, I think, simply this, that no man, no man can look into the heart and soul of his brother and know what is going on there. And the moment he does, he is indulging in the most presumptuous spiritual arrogance that it is possible to have. God says give. He didn't tell us weigh and measure the merit of the recipient. He said give. You leave the rest. So I say it is a, a difficult thing. But it is a very simple thing. Now Chuck spoke about confusion this morning. I think there is a time in the life of every AA when he comes to a point of confusion. That may happen a few weeks after he's in AA. It may not happen until a few years. But happen it will. We hear much about keeping it simple in AA, but very little about the mechanics of so doing. How do you keep it simple? How? Well, from a much better man than myself, I learned in AA that there is a simple ruler, a simple yardstick, on which you can measure the most complex situation and always arrive at the right answer. Provided, 
provided you are trying to please not man, but God. If we have one ear cocked for the applause of man, we won't use this ruler, or we will use it wrong. But if we are listening only for the quiet voice of approval of God, we have an infallible ruler, an infallible guide for keeping not only AA simple, but life itself. Put the ruler of charity on any situation. <clears throat> Remember, we are now trying to do the will of God, not our will, our selfish will that would hoard these things in, to ourselves. What is his will? You've just said, give, lend to him. But a man says there must be some limit to all this. <clears throat> now, of course, it is not charity, certainly. And some of us in AA, I think, are guilty of this. If our kids need medicine or that money is needed at home, it is not charity, it is the reverse of it to play the big shot and still indulge in that cheap exhibitionism by giving Joe a five because he'd like a jug. That isn't charity. That's a denial of justice. No, no, charity is none of these things at all. And that simple ruler, you can measure, I think, and come up with the right answer. But is there a time when a man should stop trying to help another drunk? Is there a time? Yes, there is. A very definite time. An arithmetical time. And it came from the same source as did the command to charity. One day Peter came to our blessed Lord and asked him, he said, Master, how many times shall I forgive my brother who offends against me? Seven times? And Christ looked at him and he said, Peter, I say unto you that you are to forgive your brother who offends against you, not seven times, but seventy times, seven times. There it is. That's our rule. That's our guide. That is charity. And that is a rule. That is a number that none of us is likely to meet, much less exceed. But there it is. And how can we expect to retain this most precious of all gifts unless we do? And when a man throws the golden coin of charity on the counter of life, he buys both man and God. And it is the only coin that's valid in the spiritual marketplace. The only one. As we look back again and see that the common denominator of our past was tragedy. The present the reality is happiness and the future the future the opportunity and privilege of service now any AA can elect himself to the highest office within our membership by the twin balance of charity and humility and we have come to learn in AA that service service to our brother in charity is a privilege Service is a duty, I think, only when he who serves, serves only him whom he must. But it is exalted to the rank of privilege when he who serves, serves all whom he can. And all greatness, all greatness in this world is planted in charity. And all charity grows into greatness. Now, we have come from near and far to honor you of the Amarillo section of AA because each of you has kept his rendezvous with faith. But as we leave this conference, each one of us, as he goes about his business, will hold high date with destiny every day of our lives. How shall we fulfill? How shall we practice these principles in all of our affairs? Well... When you stop and think, I think that the affairs of AA are in wonderful hands. Wonderful hands. And AA in this part of Texas must indeed be composed of charitable men, or else so many would not be here. And we stop and think that you, we, whose grimy hands formerly held the very dregs of life, now on this Sunday morning you can lift that glass aloft in a toast of faith. And we, whose dirty hands soil the very stains of life, now with the golden threads of the spiritual truths of AA, we can tend the loom of humility on which is woven the tapestry 
of man's nobility. That's what we are celebrating on this wonderful, wonderful occasion. Because we know, we know that you measure the stature of an AA, not by his IQ, but by his heartbeat. Because this is not a head program, but a heart program. And I think it is a humbling thought, however, for each of us to realize that we are not on parade this morning. We are merely on parole. And a single thoughtless, prideful, selfish moment and all of the sweetness of our victory can become the bitterness of our defeat. For that little badge of honor, that invisible badge which each one of us wears over his heart, was not given us for nobility completed, but merely for humility and charity begun. And isn't this a wonderful time, a wonderful time, to rededicate ourselves to the essential, essential principles of AA? Chuck defined them in his way this morning. I think they will always be defined in different words and always mean the same thing. Now we know that the strength of the pillars of AA go so deep in man only because they rise so high to God. We know that the principle of AA, uh, principles of AA are God's principles. What are they? Chuck defined three, the three that I think would cover any and all situations and our guiding principles are charity, faith, and humility. Charity, the love of brother for the love of God. Faith, the flame that lights our way from gloom to God. And humility, well, I, I think humility might be described as that virtue which reduces a man to his proper size without degrading him and thereby increases his stature without inflating him. Charity, faith, and humility. What greatness is impossible with them and what greatness is possible without them? And it is a, uh, another humbling thing and a reminder, a reminder to charity, I think, that each of us, when our hands are finally closed, in that last cold clasp of death and we're all headed that way in that moment the only thing the only things we shall own are those we have given away thank you